you are the famous Dr. Dave Burke. I am David Burke. I don't know about the famous part, but yeah, that's well, me. <laughs> definitely in our FSM community, I would say famous. Um, I think Carol, Dr. McMakin has such a interesting way of connecting everybody that does this. So we all feel that we know each other and we've been colleagues for years, even though most of us haven't even met face to face. So you are at Cleveland Clinic. I am at Cleveland Clinic. Yes, I've been practicing at Cleveland Clinic since 2000. And yeah. I got introduced to Dr. Catholi um, in 2014-ish. Um, they decided they wanted to start a pediatric integrative medicine unit. And because I'm a DO and I do osteopathic manipulation and craniosacral therapy and things like that, they uh, hooked me up with Ben, who does acupuncture and did FSM and some other things. And we had a couple other talents within our department um, with dry needling and craniosacral therapy and myofascial release and yoga and and so we kind of from scratch made this pediatric integrative medicine center and Ben kept talking about FSM, FSM, FSM. And, um, and they, eventually I was just like, okay, what is this? <laughs> and, uh, and I, he ended up getting me to take the class and it's the rest is history. It's been amazing. I think we all have such an interesting story, how we got into FSM. Um, either it's the story where you had a practitioner or a colleague that was um, like ramming it down your throat. You have to try this. You have to see this. Or in my case, I was probably the biggest skeptic because um, I am a manual therapist by, by trade, by origin and machines just, um, were just yucky. I didn't want to plug somebody in. I wanted to touch them and feel them. And FSM gave me the ability to do both at the same time um, because we have to get to smush. So you've been using FSM for how long? Um, I think it's been about eight, eight years or so now. And I took the class. I, I, I also am a skeptic and, but I totally trusted Ben and he was kind of my mentor in, in the world of FSM. And he kept talking about the cases and he finally showed me the devices and the charts and how they work. And, and I took the class and of course, Carol is such a dynamic speaker and she has so many awesome stories of healing and helping others. And, and I remember I was actually thinking about before um, this meeting, as I remember walking up to her between the courses, of course, we have so many people that are just so inspired during the, the lectures of hers. And I remember walking up to her and saying, Hey, I want to, I want to make a protocol for ADHD. And she said, okay. And she just kind of grinned at me like, good luck with that. And um, as she does when you know, we have all of these crazy ideas of, of things that we want to do. And so I, I sent it to her and she says, well, you should try it. And I had a couple of patients come in and, and that was one of my first experiences with it is, is creating an FSM protocol for ADHD and some kids with autism who were toe walkers that, that uh, I would run relax and balance and the tendinopathy protocols on them and they would walk out flat footed. And I was like, this, this is crazy. Like these, these stories that she tells are true. <laughs> and the patients would be sitting in the waiting room at pediatric physical therapy and they would start talking. Well, have you ever heard of this before? My son's getting this done and you should, you should go do this. So I didn't even advertise because the patients were talking about it in the physical therapy department. And uh, all this started trickling in and well, you ran this on this other patient. My son's got the same thing. Can you run this on them? And, and it's, it just, it's mind blowing. <laughs> It is. And I think um, Carol has done such an incredible job of making such a diverse protocol bank for, um, for us to start with and to play with. And 
you know, there's so many of us from different um, backgrounds and different professions who treat different types of patients, um, whether it's athletes, children, chronic pain, or a mixture of, of all of that. So um, when we were talking before trying to figure out when we would get you on and I, I don't like to prepare anybody too much because I think over the, I think we're at like 40 podcasts, it's also um, organic and um, spontaneous, but you had listed off when I said, think about some of your favorite conditions that you like treating four very complex, um, sort of hard to treat, um, conditions. You listed CP, hypotonia, spasticity, and headaches. Um, I would like to kind of touch on all four of them because we've got 23 people, um, on live. I know at least a good chunk of them would like to hear, um, a little bit about each of those conditions. So, um, I'll let you pick one of those conditions that you'd like to start with, and then I'll kind of like navigate us from there. So one of the first things I started seeing was cerebral palsy. Um, cause I worked at the pediatric, uh, integrative medicine center at the children's rehab hospital at Cleveland clinic, which is one of the few in the country with Dr. Catholi and his partners. And he would send patients to me for things like myofascial release and osteopathic manipulative therapies and things like that. And as we started playing around with it and, and I had just taken the course for FSM, it's like, well, this would be really interesting to see if we can do something for the nerve inflammation. And so I would, I would treat their spasticity from, you know, the sciatic nerve down to the foot with 40 and 396. And it's like, oh my gosh, this, this totally is way looser. And the parents were like, she can't, she can't extend her leg this way. This doesn't happen or her hands are opening now. And they, that doesn't happen. And so I ran, you know, some of those things. And at that point I was still pretty new. So I wasn't really treating the spinal cord or things like that. Um, just trying some of the basic things along with my manual therapy, such as like what you do. And, and I was like, okay, this is way complimentary to my manual therapy. And, and so one of my aha moments is, you know, I always look through the patient's chart and I look at their MRIs and I look at the neurology notes and the rheumatology notes and things like that. And I noticed this is one particular patient that I believe we presented her at the National Symposium a couple of years ago. Her name was Maria. She had um, spastic CP with, um, she would just dystonia. So her arms and legs were just going all over the place to the point where they had to restrain her in her chair. She was always kind of strapped in. Um, she was smiling from ear to ear. She was a very happy child. And I noticed that she had had a stroke as a newborn into her basal ganglia, part of the brain that controls muscle spasm. And we have a frequency for that, as, as Carol would say. And um, so as me and my nurse practitioner, my nurse practitioner that I works with me, Julie Corder, runs our comprehensive um, care clinic for kids with special needs. And this was one of her patients that she sent to me. And I had been getting pretty decent results with just treating, you know, 4396 in the concussion protocol. And I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to run the 988s, you know, the, the basal ganglia frequency. And, and within two minutes of running 40 and 988, her arms dropped to her side, her legs quit moving. You got this stoned look to her face and mom's like, what, what are you doing? What's, what's, what's going on with her? And I said, oh, she's high. <laughs> so Maria can, can um, communicate by blinking her eyes or she can raise her hand. And she said, Maria, are you okay? And she blinked her eyes. Yes. 
And she said, does this feel good? And she blinked her eyes, Jess, and she got a great big grin on her face. And so then I, we ran um, chronic concussion. We ran nerve trauma of the basal ganglia. We ran increased secretions of the basal ganglia and vitality of the basal ganglia. And the whole 20 minutes that we ran the protocol, she was stoned. She was out of it. And she, and her body just went mush. And it was, it was amazing. And um, Jesse Stricker, one of our pediatric occupational therapists that works with Maria was there too. And she and I created this basal ganglia protocol and we've used it on so many kids now with cerebral palsy, in addition to treating, you know, 8110 for spasticity of the spinal cord, um, nerve pain and nerve inflammation. And it's, it's been very, very cool. And most of our kids with cerebral palsy do respond to it. And even some, of, I have adult patients that, that I've run it on and it's been, um, really cool to do that. How long do those results typically last a day hours? Well, I saw her, saw her, um, the first time and she came back a week later and mom's mom scheduled appointments every week through the rest of the year <laughs> <laughs> after one appointment. And I don't know that this is really feasible. And she's like, yeah, they're booked. We're coming in and you're going to see us. And <laughs> we got her spaced out to about an every three week cycle. And then she was fortunate enough to just recently um, get a device to have at home um, through a community grant um, when they were showing her before and after pictures and showing some of the slides that we had taken and videos that we had taken and presented. Um, there was a community foundation that was able to help them purchase a unit for home. With COVID and things like that, it's been hard for her to come in um, safely. And um, so that's been fun. But yeah, so the first week she came in, she said, you know, her movements are about 90% better. And so we treated her again and, and each week it lasted, I, I couldn't get it past three weeks, um, but she's way better. And if I can't treat her, my nurse practitioner, not my nurse practitioner, the nurse practitioner that works with me does. And um, so, yeah, we have a combination of um, increased spinal cord secretions from head to toe, the basal ganglia from head to toe. Um, I usually treat sciatic nerve from um, low back to feet and, um, and she's done quite well. And in, in conjunction with, you know, some myofascial release through her shoulders and neck and some craniosacral therapy and working on her hips. Um, and I, and I have this story time and time again with a lot of our kids with spasticity and it's been a lot of fun and same thing with, with, um, tone issues. That's amazing. I know so many of us in the medical profession, we want to see data. We want to see numbers. We want to see the triple blinded peer reviewed study that goes back 10 years. And we don't have a lot of this research, um, on paper, but when you hear these stories and you, um, experience it as a practitioner, you don't need the triple blinded peer reviewed studies, right? You just need one of those Maria cases to know that you've, you've created change and it's real and you want to do it again and again and again and again and again. And you get like this FSM addiction. That's a great story. What, what about hypotonia? So we talked about spasticity and a little bit of cerebral palsy, but hypotonia is a little bit different. Hypotonia is different in that, you know, it's, you know, a lot of the kids actually with cerebral palsy actually are hypotonic, but they become tight in order to protect their joints, as you probably know. And so a lot of these kids do have hypotonia, but you know, their joints get tight in order to protect the tissue from moving and, and injuring themselves. And so I do use a lot of the 8110 or 4010 or 4396, 81396 for those kids as well. 
and like yourself, you know, as a manual worker, I, I use a lot of myofascial release and craniosacral therapy and facilitated positional release, a lot of stretching and levers and, and things like that to help with those things too, as well as intensive physical therapy and occupational therapy. The cool thing about working at Cleveland Clinic is that most of our pediatric physical therapy departments have microcurrent units in their departments. And so, you know, when these kids are getting physical therapy, a lot of them are hooked up to FSM. And so the therapist can get the tissue to relax or tighten a little bit and get a little bit further along. I have a little boy that I just saw today. He's four and he has a chromosome abnormality that the kids typically can't walk. They have severe seizures developmental delays. And he just got back from an extensive physical therapy rehab facility in Colorado. And he gets microcurrent at his um, pediatric PT here. And he is now taking steps with his mom um, with his hands held. He walked up to 10 feet um, this week with a pretty decent gait. And he was grinning from ear to ear the whole time he was doing it. And these are kids that aren't able to do that. And I really think that FSM was a, a large part of his um, journey to get to where he's at. A couple of questions, a couple questions are just kind of firing in already. So I want to get to them before. Um, so somebody was asking you to slow down with the frequencies. <laughs> I, I, I warned them when you were gone, I said, you speak fast, but we will get this. You will get the recording. You can watch it again and again on YouTube and you'll get it wherever you listen to your podcasts. The other question they're asking about application. Are you using, you know, wraps? Are you using stickies? Are you using the magnetic converter? What's what's your favorite go-to for kids? All of the above, actually. When I'm treating kids who are more sedentary and stationary, I tend to use either the wraps, um, which obviously I'll put a plug in for years. Years, they're excellent, or we'll use some wet towels. The problem with where I work, I'm such a small part of Cleveland Clinic, uh, in order to get the towels laundered and back to where they need to go, the wraps tend to disappear because nobody knows where they came from. You tend to use wet towels um, from neck to feet or from low back to feet or from neck to hand, whatever we happen to be treating. If I have kids who are more mobile or just don't like the wet towels, we will use the stickers um, whenever we can. Realizing sometimes when you're treating the nerve and spinal cord, it's not quite as efficacious, but it does seem, still seem to work. And then we do have a set of magnets as well for some of our kids with like autism who just can't really handle anything sitting on them. And we actually, the area that I work in used to be a, um, an apartment area for kids who are transitioning to independent living. And so our bathrooms actually have bathtubs in them. Mm-hmm. So we can kids in a tub of water and put the leads down into the water as well. We don't have to do that very often, but for kids who really can't handle any other method of it. That's another option that we have. I think you said something really important. I know when we're teaching and when we um, Mm. are explaining applications and there are so many applications for FSM, the best application is the one the patient can tolerate. So, you know, if is one more advantageous than the other, maybe, but like you said, if somebody can't handle anything on them, well, let's, try something else. Um, we had a small child, she was like one and a half, two, and, you know, she had some nerve entrapment issues and we wanted to use the sports wraps. I wanted to do all this fancy, you know, um, corrective exercise with her, but she just couldn't tolerate it. Well, the best thing was to put her in the bathtub, put some music on and got her swimming and moving and dancing in the water. And 
that worked just fine. Will it take more treatments? Maybe. But I think we get so caught up in positive, negative, red, green, black, yellow. Where do we, where do we put everything? Um, the way that the patient will, will handle it is, is the answer to that question. Usually. Because you know, what I want to do and what they're going to let me do are sometimes very different things. And, you know, sometimes the answer is I have to create a protocol, put the stickers on them. We'll put the machine in a, in a door of the Explorer backpack and off they go walking down the hall to the playground for half an hour. She does her own physical therapy at her own pace with FSM on because that's what she can tolerate. And so we, we have to be a little adaptive. And then after a couple sessions, when she gets used to me, we might be able to do some manual therapy, or maybe I can do some wraps or, you know, hold some washcloths on her or things like that. If I, if I want to try to use more than one um, machine. That was, that's a great segue to um, one of my other questions. You know, uh, Carol always talks about Ben Catholi being the world record holder, FSM record holder for the most devices on a child at one time. And then when we had him on, we were talking about it and he's like, well, actually I'm using less and less of seven or eight machines and going, you know, down to one, maybe holding frequencies longer. Talk to me a little bit about what your applications look like or if they've changed from starting your practice to, to now. Actually, my, my application changes basically on a weekly basis, it seems like. The further along I get into it and the more I hear Carol speak and you speak and Ben speak and my own personal experiences, I'm finding that fewer frequencies for longer periods of time a lot of times are the answer. And especially with the manual work, doing the joint mobilizations, doing the stretching, um, you know, getting down into the tissue, you know, sometimes just running 40 and 396 for nerve pain or running, you know, 81 and 10 for increased spinal cord secretions um, or basal ganglia 988. Sorry, I'm trying to speak slowly and doing those for longer periods of time or, you know, obviously torn and broken 124 or vitality 49. So it's some of the more common frequencies, especially with children you know, they can't handle a lot at the same time. And, you know, I can't run six and seven units a lot of time. So sometimes most of my treatments are about 30 to 40 minutes, just because we are in a busy class, keep things moving, but we might see them back a little bit more frequently than, than typical. Also, I, you know, it's it's rare that I can have somebody in my office for two hours. I know Carol, a lot of times will have, well, I hooked them up and I left them for two hours. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can't do that. I don't have, I don't have enough exam rooms and, and too many patients to do that with. So I'm, I'm finding as I, as I move along, I'm tending to do fewer frequencies for longer periods of time with, um, more hands-on things to complement the frequencies. Right. I, you know, in the last little while, we've, we've really um, captivated that 124 is time dependent. And I, I think my hypothesis on this is going to be more and more frequencies are tending to be time dependent. I know I've really seen a lot of great results running 49 past 20 minutes, past 30 minutes at times, uh, 49 is vitality. I love it with, um, nerve. So 49, 396 and 49, 142 has blown my hair back on multiple occasions running it for a long period of time. So I love hearing that. And I love collaborating with other practitioners at the very least, when you talk to other people, you're like, Oh, that's so cool that you're, <laughs> that you're seeing that too, or we're experiencing the same thing. One of the 
the biggest changes I've seen now that I'm teaching FSM is the way that we're teaching to think about the frequencies and to kind of go back to what you were talking about, how you, you took the course and you wanted to write an, an, an ADD or ADHD protocol. I mean, as a, as an instructor, that's music to our ears because that's really what we're trying to get people to do now with FSM, to think about it more than a plug and play or a list of frequencies. That's a, a slam dunk, a one size fits all, because it's really, it's really not. So you seem to be writing your own protocols. Do you ever go to any of the stuff with the mode bank as it is written? Absolutely. There were, you know, obviously the concussion protocol we use on a, on a regular basis, relax and balance, depression, anxiety, all of those sorts of things. I use a lot of the GI protocols for kids. I get a lot of kids with like cyclical vomiting syndrome and migraine headaches, which has a large abdominal component and vagus nerve. You know, the difference is some of the frequencies, you know, a lot of the younger kids don't have scar tissue and some of, some of the adult frequencies have a lot with scar tissue, you know, the 13s and your 58s. And we don't see so much of that in the younger children. Yes, in the teenagers. But um, sometimes I do take those protocols and I will adapt them to my patient population, which is nice when you're, especially if you're running them on a precision care, you can kind of skip over the ones that you're like, yeah, I'm not really feeling this one for this particular patient. And I, I love going back to my notes from the specialist and, and my MRIs and my CAT scans where I can see, oh, like this part of the brain has been hit by something or, you know, this, this doctor says that we should consider looking at this treatment. And the fun part about FSM is, you know, I have a frequency for let's, let's play, let's try. It, it's dangerous to be a friend of mine with something interesting because a lot of times I'll be like, well, you know, the doctors can't find anything wrong with me. And my MRI was normal and blah, blah, blah. It's like, can you come over, bring, bring beer, <laughs> <laughs> try something. And a lot of times it works and it's, it's a lot of fun to, to find answers electrically um, for things that modern medicine can't. It was interesting. You were talking about the research. And when I first started, I, I was getting a lot of emails from a lot of the doctors saying, show me the evidence-based medicine, show me this, show me this. And, and the patients would go back to them and say, why don't you come hang out with him for a day in the clinic? And you can see how she responds because he's getting results. And, and now I'm getting a lot of the specialists sending me patients saying, and they say, he's got this weird machine that fixes everything. And we don't really know how it works, but I have some collaborative processes involved right now with the pediatric rheumatology department, the pediatric neurology department, the pediatric GI department, pediatric psychiatry. And I have, we were supposed to have a meeting on Tuesday, but I ended up having COVID and I had to cancel. So that's next month. But all of these departments are seeing things with FSM with their own eyes on the patients that we share. And so hopefully there will be some opportunity for, re for research for people who are more research oriented than myself, because it's screaming to be done. And, you know, as somebody who's more of a clinician, I'm willing to do the research, but I also need to see the patients. So it's fun working with the specialist. And the other joy of what I do is I work at the osteopathic medical school. And so I'm now getting some of the first and second year medical students saying, hey, we'll write this up with you. And so they're willing to do the grant work, which is huge because we need to get published. Even if yeah. it's a case or case series, um, that's how it starts. For sure. 
I'm going to just jump to a quick question here before we, we move any further. Um, Lee here asks, does Dr. Burke like to use any cerebellum frequencies with movement with his kids? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Increased secretions of the cerebellum. There's the, the chronic hindbrain protocol. I've, I've got a couple kids who have cerebellar ataxia that have been followed by neurology for a couple of years. And they had two treatments with me and started going up and down steps. They jumped off the coffee table and landed on their feet. Um, and they went in and the neurologist is like, this isn't possible. Like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, you should not stop doing it. And for them to have that kind of feedback, like we've been treating this child for this length of time and you've had two or three treatments with this person, no side effects to it. And look at the advances you're making. And, you know, mom was bringing in videos like we weren't able to, this is last week, this is this week. So yeah, the cerebellar frequencies are amazing. They're a lot of fun to try. Yes, I I would strongly agree with that. That those frequencies, I will never forget sitting at the advanced hearing, it could have been advanced and a symposium. And we heard a PT talking about a stroke patient that he was working with and seeing some videos of before and after and during was enough for me to go back. I was living in Canada at the time to go back and I was working with an Olympic swimmer and I was like, this is it. This is the missing link. We could get the, um, the scar tissue dissolved, we could get some of the nerve conduction cooperating properly, but it was really working with the cerebellum that was the um, help to close the case with that. So I can only imagine how fast things and organically things work with kids. It's almost like working when I work with horses, you know, there's no placebo effect. Kids are, are real. They're not nodding their head and, you know, telling you what you want to hear. They're going to get results or they're not. Another quick question that came in before we go any further says, hello, I've been successfully using FSM to treat concussion patients. We'll be using it with a stroke patient in about seven to eight days from now. I was planning to do following protocols, torn and broken, Abrams, vitality, hypoxia in the brain for the first four to five minutes, then switch to a custom care using concussion and Vegas along with other precision care frequencies. At this point, I was planning to also add neuromuscular rehab while treating the motor cortex and cerebellum. At this time, I do not have the data. If he had a blockage or bleed, please suggest corrections or additional frequencies. I have a lot to say with this, but I'll let you start. Well, my, my practice is more um, pediatric based, so I don't see a lot of stroke patients. So you may have more experience with this than I do. But having said that, I have had neonatal strokes and perinatal strokes and kids with strokes. And the interesting part is I've had kids with brain bleeds from delivery or injuries. And even though it was years ago, or kids with shaken baby syndrome, and I've run the frequencies for stop the bleeding, even though there's no bleeding there and they, they melt like the spasticity goes away their their tightness goes away. They get, it's, it's like the, the body remembers the trauma energetically. And even though there's no bleeding in the brain at this point, they respond to that frequency. So I would encourage them to consider running your 18s, your stop the bleeding with the, the parts of the brain that may have been involved. I've had very good luck with the concussion protocol. Obviously, if, as Carol says, if, if, if there's a part that's lost, we can't get it back, but that doesn't mean we can't do some temporary workarounds with it. And I have a lot of kids who have had traumatic brain injuries where I can't fix it, but I can at least make them more functional for a couple of weeks at a time. And those are the kids, if they respond over and over and over again, those are the ones that, you know, the parents are usually willing to, to buy a, a unit or somebody that knows them 
is willing to do a GoFundMe page or something to, to give them some help. Right. I agree with that. Eight Running 18, I I almost want to, there's so many regrets I have with FSM and we'll get to that, those those talks in, in a few seconds. But if I could go back and treat any patient with any frequency, it would be 18 because I used to really just look at it as an acute um, protocol that I something was acutely ruptured as in delayed onset muscle soreness or an acute tear in a muscle tissue. And you're absolutely correct. Running 18, even in super chronic cases can be extremely beneficial. It's almost as if you have to think about the case as did this once bleed? And then if the answer is yes, running it for just a few minutes will create that warm, smushy, melty um, feeling that that you get. So I agree running 18. Stroke patients are extremely complicated. I think you have to, what did we say? One of the last podcasts that Carol was with, we have to take just one bite at a time um, and look at it just in, you know, maybe every visit will present a little bit differently. I think the frequencies and the suggestions Elf that you had written here are very good to start with. And then you'll have to just see how do they feel after the first treatment, the second treatment, and just sort of tweak it from there. So increasing the secretions to the sensory and motor cortex and cerebellum is probably going to be what's going to give you the biggest results, in my opinion, and in the patients that I've treated with with stroke. So 49 increasing the vitality of the peripheral nerve as well to the areas. And if you can, there's a a wipe and load protocol that we do in the sports course. You don't have to do so much wipe because um, this isn't like a faulty motor pattern that they've gotten themselves into. It's more like loading the optimal motor pattern. So giving verbal cues of the movement that you'd like to smooth out, maybe you have to do it passively with them. So there's lots of cases that if you can get some movement with FSM running, that is what's going to give you really great results. One of the other questions that we had for you, I think was about frequency and not frequency as far as FSM. What is your usual frequency or visits with children? I guess that would depend. When I'm treating very much so, um, you know, when I'm treating patients with ADHD, I usually treat them twice a week for two weeks and then once a week for two weeks. And then typically it's every other week or every three weeks, once we get kind of an established pattern. Having said that, there are patients who need treated a couple times a week all the time, especially if they're not on medications, which is our goal. And that also buys us some time to get them on the, you know, off of the inflammatory foods and get them their supplements up, up and running and, and that sort of thing. My kids with cerebral palsy, I tend to see them about once a week for the first couple of weeks. Unfortunately, I, I don't have the privilege of seeing kids three times a week. A lot of times, just because we are so busy and I, I wear a lot of different hats. I do general pediatrics a couple of days a week. I do integrative medicine a couple of days a week and I teach a couple of days a week. So for me to, to treat somebody myself um, two or three times a week, just it just doesn't happen. But I do have a nurse practitioner that works with me closely that we collaborate. And so a lot of times I'll see them once and then she'll see them the next time. And so a lot of my kids with like torticollis, we'll see them every other week that they're getting physical therapy in between and, and may get a torticollis protocol or concussion protocol. So there are ways that other people can lay hands on them and hook them up as well. A lot of the kids you know, once or twice a week for the first couple of weeks, and then we'll kind of space them out as, as we can. 
just like all the other podcasts I do with Carol, you very organically helped me into my segue of some of the things that I wanted to talk about. Again, going back to the sports course, I had to, my brain has to organize FSM into components. So the way um, I thought about FSM and how to apply it was in this, you know, RRP module. So we have rehabilitation, we have recovery, and we have performance enhancement. And I like thinking about FSM in these three chunks, even with my chronic pain patients, because we have to get them out of pain. We have to get them moving better. That's that rehab stage, but we also have to support the recovery, you know, so what they're doing at home to help support what you're doing clinically. And then of course the performance is, you know, getting them moving better. That's always my number one goal is obviously getting them out of pain, but getting any human at any level moving better and enjoying to move. So what are some of, you know, you know, FSM aside, and, you know, you can talk about medication, but how are some of the ways that you're helping to support um, pediatric stable states, what they can do at home, either organically or sleep supplements, anything? Well, you know, being part of the pediatric integrative medicine center, we do have you know, pediatric pain management, we have physical medicine rehab, we have PTOT speech. So we have a lot of supportive services, pediatric dietitians, and they are very uh, holistic oriented. So a lot of these kids, even though they may not have been gluten sensitive or dairy sensitive prior to their injury or their illness or their surgery, their trauma or their anesthetic event or illness may have caused them to have like leaky gut syndrome, irritable bowel, celiac, food sensitivities. And so working with the families, you know, getting them on a more of a Mediterranean type diet, which, you know, me saying that to a teenager or an adult is one thing, saying it to a two-year-old who wants to eat mac and cheese can be a whole nother. Sometimes it does take a little bit of time to kind of win the kids over and get them on a more appropriate diet, find versions of supplements that they can take. And, you know, there are a lot of ways that we can do, you know, yoga with kids and stretching with kids. And a lot of times you just have to make it fun, put them in a swimming pool, you know, give them, you know, pediatric sliding boards. And, you know, our physical therapy department really looks more like a playground than it does a physical therapy department because they have to make it fun for the kids to interact. And they're excellent at finding ways to engage the child and the family and make therapy really more like a play date. And so that I think is key is if you want the kids to have a sustained activity, they have to want to enjoy it and they have to want to do it too. Cause if they're crying the entire hour, they're in there. That makes it hard for me because they don't want to be touched when they see me when, with my hands coming at them, they don't want the microcurrent hooked on. But you know, if I can put that unit on a backpack and they can go climb and slide down a sliding board or go to a swing or do a balance board or all of those things are, are key. So, you know, our goal is to get them out of pain, to get them moving, as you said. And, you know, once we get them realizing, Hey, it doesn't hurt when I do this, then we can go a little deeper with our activities and with our supplements. And, and sometimes it's, as, as you mentioned, you know, we're working on a chunk. I, I kind of, I use the, the onion analogy. We're going to peel off a layer at each visit and we're going to go a little bit deeper each time. Um, so this is not going to be a quick fix. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. You know, you've had this pain for two years. I, I can make it better, but I can't make it go away in one visit. So, and once people start understanding that they're like, 
you know what? I, I am better than I was three months ago. You're right. I feel layers of things coming off. And um, I just had a patient today. She actually was not a pediatric patient, but Carol had treated her at uh, one of the basic courses a couple of years ago in Cleveland. And she was supposed to follow up with me. And then of course the pandemic hit and they closed my clinic for a while because we weren't allowed to touch people because we were all going to die. And, but I did end up seeing last year and we've seen her on a regular basis and she gets OMM. She now has three um, FSN devices at home. And after a year of therapy and her treating herself and, and she's moving back to North Carolina in the mountains where she is from and her trauma was about seven years ago. Wow. But I've had to explain to her multiple times this, you are like an onion. I am peeling layers off and we are working on your mobility and we're working on your pain. And, and, uh, you know, once people kind of understand like a little bit at a time, as much as I can tolerate and it goes a long way. I, you know, we always talk about how, um, when we start using FSM, our patient history forms change from like, you know, one or two pages to seven or eight, because now we have frequencies for everything. And we have to ask if everybody's had everything. One of the things I'm working on, um, obviously we've got, you know, uh, clinical waivers when somebody comes to see me in the clinic. I'm, I'm working on a new patient agreement contract that kind of writes out just like a waiver does, you know, um, therapy takes time. We're going to do this chunk by chunk. We're going to have to adapt. But one of the biggest things I try to really reiterate with my patients now is that this is a relationship. I don't want people to come and fling themselves on the table and expect this machine to magically make everything um, disappear. They have to be involved with their rehab. There is homework. Um, so I try not to use the word homework. They, I have activities. I have challenges. I try to phrase things in a way that's digestible. And of course, with the athletes, um, they love it. They want to do everything they can to get back in the game, but not everybody has that same drive to take on, um, homework. And, you know, with kids, that's their own set of challenges. Right. Um, and I think the way you're phrasing it with play and games is the way to go about that. Now, what about sleep? As you, you know, I'm sure you would agree. Sleep is one of the biggest factors with recovery. We need sleep to recover, but we also need a certain amount of recovery to help us with sleep. How do you tackle that with kids? Uh, so the concussion protocol works great for sleep. I, it, a lot of times does reset the sleep patterns. You know, we'll use specific frequencies. 102 is the pineal gland. So we can run 81 slash 102, which increase secretions of the pineal. We do have patients that will use things, um, you know, lavender, chamomile, passionflower, melatonin, um, valeria, if you can get it in a swallowable form, the liquid version of valeria is horrible tasting, but um, the older kids and teenagers, a lot of times will do well with natural sleep supplements. I try to stay away from prescription things, but sometimes we do have to do things like trazodone and clonidine and things like that for some of our older kids. Because sleep hygiene is very important and, you know, getting them to turn off their cell phones, or if they have to have their cell phones on, I'll tell them to play the Sofrigio frequencies on a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. So that would kind of through Sofrigio, which for those of you who aren't familiar, those that's the chanting of Buddhist monks that is set to uh, a lot of times it is set to uh, massage music. They're very powerful and very cool frequencies. So there are some for restoring DNA. There are some for getting in touch with your higher self. There are some for relaxing balance, emotional healing, and 
and they they knock me out within a couple minutes. If I, I I rarely have problems sleeping, but if I run those, I'm out cold and I wake up in the same position I fell asleep in. And so they're very cool. So if if somebody's hooked on their cell phone, well, you can use your cell phone, but use it to play Sofrigio or the grounding frequencies. Right. And so a lot of times that goes a long way. That's that's fantastic. I should do that with my athletes. I used to tell them because I wanted them to just turn their phones off and be present, present with me, present with the treatment. So I used to say that the FSM devices would um, scramble their cell phones and that was all they needed to just like throw it across the room (laughs) and they wouldn't want anything to happen to their phones, but playing those frequencies, I have a quick story before I get to some of these questions. I had an athlete who was off to the Olympics and took one of our FSM machines with him. And he was really nervous about the comp about his race the next day. And he said, what should I do? And I'm like, you know, the concussion protocol makes you sleep. So just relax. Do your, you know, we were working with deep breathing, put the concussion protocol on. He's like, oh, I heard about this app called binaural beats. And I'm like, yeah, those are great. It has, you know, different types of white noise. It has sofagios on there. So I didn't hear from him. And then I was watching the games the next day and he meddled and he did fantastic. And I was texting him. I'm like, you must've had a great sleep. He's like, I did the concussion protocol with binaural beats. And dude, I felt like I was in the matrix. I'm like, are you crazy to do something new right before an Olympic game? But I'm glad it worked out for them. But I agree running something with FSM at night, if they're, if they're able to, and they have a device, I think that's, That's great. I'm going to get to a quick question before we move any further. Um, Somebody said, hello, Dr. Burke. I have been treating kids all over the U.S. with AFM. What suggestions do you have on best managing these kids? Have you seen any of them? Does it matter the order in which you run frequencies? AFM. That's what she writes. Um, Maybe she can... I was hoping you might know if she writes back, I'll, we'll get to that in a second. The next question is, um, torticollis protocol question mark. Oh, acute, acute flaccid myelitis. Um, so that would probably be more one for Dr. Catholi, um, who I think you spoke to a couple of weeks ago, but we do have the, so, you know, what is causing it? First of all, is it, is it the adenovirus that was going around a couple of years ago. I have a patient with that and we've, we've come a long way with it, doing a lot of the spinal cord frequencies, torn and broken of the spinal cord, inflammation of the spinal cord, viral frequencies for the spinal cord and brain. And she's had extensive rehab as well. But um, the doctor, I, I have, I've only had two of those patients. So I, I'm by far not an expert at that. Dr. Catholi would probably be a better choice to answer that question. What we're going to do is that we had a couple questions um, because Ben was on me. I wasn't taking any questions because I did it on my Zoom. So I had some that came in. Maybe what we'll do is we'll compile them. I'm sure more will come in for you. And then when we have you guys both back on, we can do, um, we can do, you can kind of maybe follow up on some of the questions that we're going to get. Yeah. Um, Jackie has written here. Yes. Virus to spinal cord. Okay. Um, torticollis protocol question mark. This is one that you have written yourself. I am assuming. Um, actually Carol wrote a couple of the torticollis protocols with Dr. Catholi um, when she first Cleveland several years ago and Regina Thompson actually presented at the national symposium 2018 or 19. Um, she actually has a published study on treating um, torticollis and what she did, Regina's brilliant. She is a doctor of physical therapy um, for pediatrics. 
and she treats a lot of kids with torticollis and she went back and has looked at a lot of studies on torticollis and how they're treating in other countries and found a lot of these kids have increased calcium uptake in some of the tissues. And so she has a lot of um, calcium frequencies in the muscle, in the nerve, in the fascia. And so a lot of her frequencies focus on removing calcium buildup and she does them while running um, FSM and doing physical therapy. That's and published study of case report on that. It's one of the few, uh, FSM is one of the few um, things that is approved for torticollis because of her publication. That is so exciting. My oldest daughter was born with um, torticollis and I was fighting with the nurses that something was wrong with her neck. They're like, no, no, no. She's just looking at you. I'm like, spin her around. They're like, no, 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 no. She's just looking outside. I'm like, no, something's wrong with her neck. (laughs) I wish I had FSM 16 years ago, but I didn't. Focusing on the cerebellum and the uh, medulla, a lot of times will help shut down the traps and the sternocleidomastoid, doing some myofascial release on that. The motor cortex, sensory cortex, all of those things have played roles. I, I actually have about five different protocols that I kind of, because everybody's different, not, you know, kids, there's a lot of cookie cutter stuff in kids, but everybody's also individual. And so you kind of have to look as, you know, were, were they stuck in the uterus at a certain way? Was this birth trauma? Did they have to use forceps? Was this an injury? Twins. And so I have a couple of different torticollis protocols that I would use. And often I will kind of make my own up based on what the patient needs and how their tissue reacts to the frequencies when I'm using my precision care. So right. even protocols made, um, you know, remember the tissue tells you what to do. Um, so when you feel the smush, that's, that's the frequencies you want to go with. So with kids, I don't tend to run standard frequencies all of the time because they're all different. And so sometimes, you know, I'll keep these, I'll keep these protocols in my pocket, but when it comes to actually treating the child, just, yeah, run the frequency for a minute or two. If it doesn't do anything, switch it to something else and and feel for that smush and and your tissue reaction. So I was just going to ask you if you were a smush guy, there's a lot of practitioners that have never felt smush. And whenever I teach a sports course, my goal is that everybody either feels smush on themselves or gets to touch somebody who has smushed. And and it's not scientific. It's a silly word that we use, but it's, it's the truth, right? And once you feel the tissue, that was, that was what sold me with the data was great. All the athletes that I knew that was using FSM was great. Their testimonials were great, but it wasn't until I laid my hands on somebody. And if you are a manual therapist, you know that you're thinking and your eyes are on your fingertips and to have something melt or smush as fast as it does when things are working is indescribable and it's addicting and you want more and more of it. You were just talking about a minute or two that you, you kind of wait for the frequencies. I think sometimes I'll wait seconds because you just know if it's about to, to let go. Do kids tend to smush any different than adults? They tend to go faster just because the tissue, I mean, they're younger and they're, they're, biorhythm is quicker and their metabolism is quicker. So I, I do find that I don't have to treat nearly as long my pediatric patients as I do my adult patients because the tissue is a lot more pliable. They tend to kind of stare off into space or they might just fall asleep on the table a little quicker. You know, what's, what's fun is when I'm, you know, table training with Carol and, and I'll have the students doing like the visceral part and I'll just put my hand on the foot 
And then you can feel the smush, although it's really more of a tissue relaxation. And I'll be like, did you just feel that change? And they're like, you could tell that from down there. It's like, yeah, but could you tell it where your hands were? Because that's how you start. Right. Oh, that's, that's really great. Do you, do you have a, a, when you talked about all the success stories um, and, and those are great, but I try to teach my, my own children that we learn from our mistakes. So do you have a, a failure? And I always write failure in quotes because fail is our first attempt in learning. Um, Do you have a story that you wish you could go back to or something that, um, that didn't work that kind of haunts you? Um, it's an excellent question, actually. I mean, you always have the ones where I wish I would have tried this, you know, six months ago because I didn't, or I didn't think of this frequency or, or you had the aha moment working on another patient. Um, and then you think of, and so one of mine was treating a, an older gentleman with, I can't think of the word. I have post COVID brain. So my, my, I have brain fog right now. Phantom limb syndrome. He had phantom limb on his feet and I was treating from sciatic nerve down to his foot 40 and 396 for inflammation of the, of the sciatic nerve. And, and I got nowhere with him and I went back in a couple years later, but unfortunately my neighbor ended up having a traumatic amputation of his arm and had phantom limb syndrome. And I had just watched Carol's video off that or maybe she had just come in for an advanced course and um and i had hooked him up from neck to the stump of his arm and we we cycled 40 and 396 concussion protocol i ran 40 and 89 for midbrain and 40 and 92 for motor cortex and i cycled them every two minutes and i was i was actually at his house down the street and we were just chatting and after about 20 minutes he's like my arm hasn't hurt me for since you hooked me up now that i'm thinking about it and I was this other gentleman. I was like, oh, I was treating the nerve. I was not treating the brain and pain had been become centralized. And I, and I was not thinking about treating the brain. And so most of the time when I have the failed experiences, it's because it was somebody who was more chronic and I was treating it as acute. So I I was not treating the pain pathways in the brain and then all the way down to the end tissue. And that's probably my most common mistake. The other is not taking enough history. There's always the emotional stuff that you find out later that you never treated the, the emotional component of the pain. And, you know, you can treat that tissue to the cows come home, but until they tell you that this started after I had a, a head injury or this started after I had COVID or this started after blah, 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 you have to get to the root of, of when this started. And I've seen so many patients where I've gone back and asked more history later and said, you never told me that you had this traumatic experience. You were physically abused or sexually abused or whatever. And that's the cause of your pelvic pain because we have not treated the emotional component. And even though that may not cause your pain, it is certainly hindering your recovery. And so a lot of times when I'm trying to get kids better and they're having chronic pain, it's like, I'm going to send you to behavioral therapy or a psychologist not because you're crazy, but there is a, an emotional component to all chronic conditions. And until we teach you how to deal with that and allow you to process that, we're not going to get optimum results. And so kind of putting it that way, I think a lot of people understand, yeah, I, I do have some emotional component to my pain. 
you don't think I'm crazy. You don't think this is all in my head, but I know that that's true. And so that's one way that I can get them into those sorts of therapists. And it's very rewarding once you can kind of step back and do that. But it's so often one of the things that I've missed. Um, so that's probably one of my biggest failures is not treating the emotional component and not treating the brain. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I say this story over and over and over again. When I lecture the first almost three years, I used FSM. I didn't use any of the emotional frequencies at all. Cause I thought they were weird. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm a therapist. I could, they, right. I mean, we can, I can, I can see inflammation go away. I can see bruising go away. I can see range of motion increasing. I can't see the nine seventies. I can't see sadness or happiness until I had to use it because a, um, a hockey player had an acute injury and I couldn't close the last 10 degrees of hip flexion that I needed to get him to be clear to play. And it wasn't until he was giving me the answers. He was literally screaming them in my face, how frustrated he was with this injury, how scared he was that he was going to lose his spot on the team. And I'm like frustrated, anxious, scared, abandonment. We have frequencies for those. Wait, what? So I would agree with you hundred percent. The emotional frequencies, if I do use multiple machines, Sometimes I will just use some of those emotional frequencies on like, you know, we say I'll run it on the background on a custom care because I know they kind of have to be cycled. I know we have to address them, whether or not they're ready to go to therapy is neither here nor there, but at least I'm doing my part, what we can with frequencies to help kind of mitigate that component of everything. We had one quick question before we move on. Could you please comment on autism spectrum? Autism spectrum is tough. I started treating a couple kids who had some toe walking issues from the physical therapy department that I talked about earlier in the segment. Two of them actually were siblings and they had autistic spectrum disorder and some anxiety. And I was first focusing on the, uh, on the tendonitis and the Achilles tendon tightening. They had some pretty significant behavioral problems that were kind of impeding my care of them. And so I ran anxiety protocol on a different unit and they went down on their heels like within minutes and I was like well that's that's interesting and uh mom ended up taking them to school and the, and the teacher said what what medication have you put them on their behaviors are so much better in terms of making eye contact and they seemed like they were more present and so just running like the emotional relax and balance depression anxiety type frequencies was really helping them kind of calm down, be more aware of their environment, help with some of their sensory issues. And this particular child, I was, I was new at, at doing FSM and I was looking through the, the books and there was a neurodegenerative and chronic concussion protocol um, that was in the basic course initially. I, I think it's still in there. And I kind of adapted that and put that into one protocol and I, and I showed it to Carol and she's like, this is way too long. You need to shorten this. So we got it down to about 45 minutes and I had a set of twins come in, twin girls, both with autism, one higher functioning than the other. And mom had, they were my patients that I saw in my general pediatric practice. And mom said, you know, I, I've just had it. Like, I, I can't do this today. I'm just having a bad day. Like this one was in timeout seven times today. The other one was in timeout five times today. And 
the one child is she was fascinated with Japan and she said, I want to move to Japan and live with, with a family there. And, you know, mom's like, you know, I've taken you to physical therapy, speech therapy, occupational therapy. We've done this, this, and this. And she's like, I, for today, I'm done. So can I, can I try something on you? And she said, you can do whatever you need to. So I hooked her up to what we call the neuro conditions protocol, which is the chronic concussion protocol. And I also ran my 18 minute ADHD protocol and anxiety. And Mom sent me like a two-page MyChart message through the computer, and she said, "This is crazy." So after two weeks, so at this point, I did see I did have a nurse practitioner that was working with me at the time that ran microcurrent, and so she saw her three days later and treated her. I saw her three days after that, and after four treatments, um, the child was picking out her own clothes for school. He went from like ten meltdowns a day to one a week, and it was doable for a normal four or five-year-old toddler. Um, she was making better eye contact. She was drawing pictures. It was, and she was making more progress than her higher functioning sibling with autism and to the point where the mom ended up buying a unit to have at home because she was like, this, this is crazy. It seems like some of the more severe kids do better than some of the more old like Asperger's type syndrome. I have not had as much luck with them. I know that there are a lot of different protocols looking at liver and adrenals and things like that um, than what I have. Um, So it is definitely a work in progress and I am open to anything that anyone else has discovered that works for them because there are such a large number of these kids and, you know, I'm, I'm one person and I'm trying to help as many of the kids as I can, but I am more than open to hearing any success stories that people have with certain frequencies for this, because this is one area that I would love for us to be able to share our successes and help these kids. Absolutely. Anybody listening, send me an email. If you have some good results with this at Kim at FSMSports365.com, Rick said, we're going to compile a few more talks with Dr. Burke and we'll get Dr. Catholi back on and really have some fun. So to close out most of the podcast, I've been sharing a quote and I've been asking my guests to share the same. So my quote for today, and I shared this with you already, Dr. Burke is in the tapestry of life. We are all connected. Each one of us is a gift to those around us, helping each other be who we are weaving a perfect picture together. I think this really sums up our FSM community and how interconnected we all seem to be. So I'm going to ask you for your quote, Dr. Burke, what was it that you wanted to share? Well, so that was a great one, actually. And, you know, as the funny part is uh, I had talked to you yesterday and I was talking about this. My quote at the time was, and a little child shall lead them. And for me, that speaks a lot because I learn a lot from my patients and their responses to the frequencies help me help other children. And so it's one child may help 10 others just by them coming in and letting me work on them and seeing the smiles on their face and saying, I feel better. And so I'm like, well, if this worked for you, maybe this will work for you. And so that that's one of the quotes that I'm going to say is, uh, it's going to work for me today. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. I, Love that you are a colleague and a friend that you stopped by and shared all your wisdom with us today. I know there's going to be a lot of questions that are coming in for you because just like when I listen to um, any podcast, I listen to it and then I think about all the questions and all the follow-ups. So feel free to send, send me any more questions for Dr. Burke, Kim at FSM365.com. And then we'll, we'll have everybody back on and we'll have like a, um, like a little reunion when Dr. McMakin comes back and joins us and then we'll really have a party. So thank you again. Thank you everybody for coming in live. 
And those to you are listening um, wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Burke, for coming by. Thanks for having me. This was wonderful. See you, everybody. See you next week with Dr. Carol. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast. Please leave an honest review wherever you subscribe to this podcast.